On this episode, we welcome Professor Lewis, Carrie Schiffeld, and Pastor A.R. Bernard. I'm Sterling Williams, and welcome to Your Voice, Your Future Town Hall. On the night to talk about issues in the world, a little bit about critical race theory, a little about what's going on in the world today. Why is there such controversy over critical race theory, which has been around since I think around 1979? I'm going to have our distinguished professor, Brittany Lewis, to sort of put it in perspective for everybody. And is it, is the media getting it wrong? Are we misunderstanding it? Why has it become so controversial, Professor Lewis? Yeah, sure. So I think one of the first things that we're seeing Armstrong with people being so frustrated about it is many people that have opinions on critical race theory, including a lot of the legislators, can't actually tell you what it is. Um, I think there is a fear um, that to teach about the origins of this country in a way that is critical will then lead to Americans not being patriotic. Um, I think that is the general consensus, that if we teach about race and we talk about the way in which race and racism function in American institutions, that that means that we are further creating a divide, as opposed to saying if we teach, if we move to race, if we move to move to the institutions of enslavement and how that legacy still affects us today, we can actually repair um, a lot of the disconnect between people of color in this country and our uh, mainstream community to become one. So I think there's a lot of disconnect there. But of course, there are a lot of individuals who feel like race um, is not a factor uh, in this world anymore. So if you have that ideology, of course, teaching about critical race theory is going to seem controversial. Carrie Sheffield, why do people on the right, from the Senate to corporate America and everyday Americans have an issue with critical race theory being taught in institutions? Sure. So I think the perspective from a lot of conservatives is that it's an incomplete story. I will completely agree with the professor that we need to teach a full and robust view of race in this country, and we should never pretend uh, that we've been angelic or that we ever lived to our actual creed of treating all men equal. Um, absolutely. But I think the problem is that if you just stop there at the sin and you stop just there at uh, the repression without telling the story and the truth uh, about, for example, the hundreds of thousands of white men who died from the North, who sacrificed their lives. They had nothing to gain from this. They weren't enslaved, but we never hear about them. We never hear about the losses to their families. We never hear about reparations to their families in terms of what, the, what was lost. At what point do we stop uh, the victimization. So there are lots of problems. Listen, uh, both fascinating perspectives. Critical race theory impacted all our lives where it makes some resentful, makes some feel marginalized, and it just creates a further racial divide in this country. I mean, what, what is, how do we have this conversation? How do we take both sides and what Carrie and what Professor Lewis say in account and bring this country together. Is it possible, Pastor? The term critical race theory has been hijacked and it is now surrounded by negative associations. And we know, Armstrong, that whoever controls the language controls the conversation and directs the narrative. So I think the, uh, the term critical race theory has to be recaptured to 
the original understanding of that. And that understanding is that critical race theory looks at the historic role of race and racism in American systems and structures. And Armstrong, you know, uh, America has a history of marginalizing through its systems and structures and legal codes and processes. You know, uh, slavery, Jim Crow, segregation, the, the GI Bill, uh, FHA, which is a federal housing association engaged in redlining, the creating of poverty by the construction of highways through upwardly mobile black communities that created uh, centers of poverty. So America has a history of using its system structures and legal codes to enforce segregation and Jim Crow and marginalizations. I don't believe that critical race theory is a Marxist framework regardless of those who were associated with its beginning in 1979. I don't believe our nation is inherently evil. Uh, and I don't believe that white people should feel guilty for their skin color. I do believe that sin, Armstrong, manifests in the individual and in the systems and structures built by those individuals. You came into the program quoting the Bible, and the Bible speaks of original sin that all humanity is broken and wounded in some way. So naturally, the institutions, uh, the systems and structures we create will reflect some of that brokenness and some of that woundedness. Our nation is built on the premise that human nature is flawed and, and, and present, therefore, at the inception of every human institution and social construct are the seeds of its own destructions. This is why our government is structured around the separation of powers, the legislative, the executive, and the judicial branches. They act independently, holding each other accountable. We have a federal system in which state governments keep a check on the national, national government. So, you know, when we think of critical race theory, let's understand what it was originally meant to be, not what it has been hijacked. As a person of color, Armstrong, I am conscious of the role of race in American society, but I don't see the world and all human relationships through the lens of race. So, Brittany, Brittany. I'm going to give you a chance to ask a question to Carrie Sheffield. Yeah, Armstrong, if, if, if I may, uh, I would love to jump in and just respond just very quickly to some of the comments that were made um, by Carrie earlier. Um, I know she talked a bit about nuance, and, and I felt that some of the comments, while are very interesting things to unpack, a few of them were extremely ahistorical in that um, we are not blaming individual white people. We are talking about the legacy of systems and institutions, and while there certainly isn't enough time right now to give a history lesson, it's really important that we don't conflate um, European enslavement with other forms of indentured servitude, because Africans were considered chattel. Chattel means that you are completely dehumanized to the point of property, and that you would be enslaved, your child would be enslaved, your child's child would be enslaved. And this is a unique form. You know, black bodies were worth more to the United States in 1776 than all of the money in the banks combined. And many of the same Fortune 500 companies that are, that are here today amass their capital through enslavement. You know, in the 19th century, U.S. banks in southern states would sell securities that helped fund the expansion of slave-run plantations. And since enslaved humans and transporting them in between continents was a risky and dangerous business, insurance policies were purchased. And these policies protected against things like the boats used to transport enslaved humans. Um, and some of the largest insurance firms in the U.S. from New York Life, AIG, Aetna, sold policies that ensured slave owners would be compensated if the slaves 
were killed or injured. So, you know, the money Southern plantation owners earned was deposited into U.S. Bank, like Citibank, the subsidiaries of Bank of America, Wells Fargo. Again, I don't have an entire time. I can connect this to the North, but this is a massive system. And the fact that the people who have labored in this country for centuries, um, who have been private property longer than they've been able to own it, have not been compensated is simply not fair. And we have to move to the conversation of reparations and talking about that legacy in its entirety. And we talk about, you know, earlier there was a comment about the union. I did learn plenty about the Civil War. I learned plenty about the union. But what I can tell you that I didn't learn while I was in school was about the Tulsa race massacre or the like 56 other race massacres that happened in a, a, a 40 year period. What I didn't learn is ancient African civilizations. I learned essentially Western civilization. So I think there's so much more to be said here in terms of one, what it means to have a nuanced sense of history and to be able to connect the institutions that we have today um, with, with, with uh, you know, the history of enslaved, enslaved Africans. And I agree with what the pastor said. I think that critical race theory has been hijacked. It's been hijacked by liberal politicians who want to use a horrific legacy of slavery, Jim Crow, and persecution against black Americans in order to justify more government spending, which we have seen. We have seen what it has done to the black family. It has destroyed it. Um, and I would also say that what liberals today are also arguing for um, is uh, more racism. And I think that the the best way, as uh, Supreme Court Justice uh, John Roberts recently wrote, um, you don't solve racism with more racism. So there have been three recent federal court hearings that have struck down the Biden administration, Small Business Administration, because they were trying to give loans only to black business owners. And you had Latina business owners, white business owners who were upset about this. And they said, this is a denial of the Equal Protection Clause. You can't have taxpayer federal money from the Biden administration only going to certain racial groups. That's not allowed. Um, and so that policy was rejected by the courts. And I think we're going to see more and more of this. I am all for private money. I'm all for churches. I'm all for nonprofit and donors if they want to uplift. And I have been involved with many, many groups who specifically uplift Black Americans. I am all for that. But we have to draw the line when it comes to public money, when it comes to uh, public agitation, uh, trying to distort reality. I would also say my point on slavery is that in sub-Saharan Africa, the, the history of slavery uh, was the same in terms of you were an owner. Black bodies owned other black bodies in sub-Saharan Africa. So if we want to say that it is was an exclusively American thing, the, um, the, the notion of individual rights and the notion of throwing off the chains of slavery was actually a Judeo-Christian value. It was a Judeo-Christian value of a direct connection to God, the, that, that everyone is made in the image of God. It was actually white Christians from the North who helped to disrupt slavery and, and destroy it, uh, working in, in partnership with black Americans as well. It's, it's, it's the races working together. And, and, um, and I'm sorry if the professor thinks that I'm not her ally, but I actually am. And I want to work with black Americans. I want to work with people of all races because that's the way that, that we move forward. I've got to have Pastor Bernard look at the juxtaposition of these two thoughts, schools of thoughts, because there's truth on both sides. You cannot ignore that. It may be painful, but there's truth in both of the voices we just heard. Pastor? Well, I, I think that, you know, there's a wonderful passage in Proverbs that says the destruction of the poor is their poverty. So we have to be careful when we blame the victim for their destruction without considering the socio-political conditions that created that condition. 
I believe in both personal responsibility and social responsibility working together to change those conditions. The violence that we see and the aggression that we see is rooted in an alienation uh, of blacks and brown, black and brown people from a way of life afforded to the dominant white society throughout American history. So it leads to frustration. This frustration is the result of unresolved problems and unfulfilled needs. Brittany, I know you want to say something. I want to give you a chance. You know, there's certainly so much to say, and I, I just wanted to quickly thank you, Pastor, for those comments. I, I'm so glad that you hit on that point, that you can't possibly talk about, quote-unquote, black criminality, um, which certainly isn't fair if you're not talking about the systems and institutions that allowed 11-to-1 wealth gap between blacks and whites. Obviously, when people are in need to survive, they're going to do what is necessary. Um, I also thought what was very interesting is not to say that, Carrie, I don't think that you are an ally. I believe that you may think that you are an ally, but the reality is, in order to be an ally, it means to have a true understanding of this history, and several of the things that you have pointed out are actually as are, are extremely ahistorical to be quite frank even when we talk about blaming you know uh, there is this notion that blacks are associated with welfare when white people benefit from welfare more than anyone else in this country and we talk about sub-saharan africa i mean i'm someone who studies enslavement like there there is a difference between indentured servitude and chattel slavery again i think a lot of these things are being conflated they are much more nuanced and i think that this is why things like critical race theory and enslavement need to be taught and i need to be taught for for semesters at a time or for periods at a time so that the general American public actually understands what these things are and how they function, which is why people are able to say, and I believe Carrie heard you earlier say something, well, we as individual white people shouldn't be blamed. And again, this is not about individuals. This is about the system, right? This is about the system that creates situations where people have to do what's necessary to survive. And Carrie, I will give you the final word before I say goodbye to you and Brittany, because we're coming back with Pastor Bernard to talk about alcohol addiction. Carrie? Sure. Uh, well, I want to clarify something that, um, that both Pastor and the Professor said, which is I completely agree we should not be blaming victims, people who are trapped in these systems. Um, I guess what I think is that you have to be honest, though, to say the bigger threat to black lives is not a white cup. The, by far, statistically, the biggest threat to a black American is another black American. And we have to be honest about it, statistically speaking, if we're going to actually clean up the neighborhoods. In terms of empowering, I have uh, specifically given many jobs. I was a, an entrepreneur um, to African-Americans in, in media and journalism. I have paid for them out of my own pocket. I have hired them. I've given them jobs, even if ideologically we were very different uh, from each other. Um, I think that uh, the structural problem that the pastor mentioned is absolutely right, and it is welfare. The welfare system has trapped structurally the black family, and it has destroyed it because, again, as I said, the black family was intact. It was far more intact than it is today before welfare started. And we're talking percentage-wise. The professor uh, was talking about the absolute number of people on welfare. And it is true that, yes, the absolute number of white people is higher than the absolute number of black people. But we're talking percentage-wise. The, the, the percentage use of welfare is much more prominent within black America than white America. And I believe that is a function of what white liberals did to entrap black families. And I know they have the best of intentions. I don't, well, actually, LBJ was a, a, a racist white 
white supremacist himself, um, but he was using it because he believed it would get him reelected. Um, and, and I think we need to rethink the way that uh, these programs are structured to encourage work uh, rather than actually, it is structurally punishing the family. If there is a male in the home, uh, then the household is uh, not allowed to receive support. So I think we should change the structure and encourage uh, fatherhood and encourage uh, through these programs, because I do agree there are structural programs that are uh, trapping the black family and keeping them in these violent situations, and we have to do better. Kara Sheffield, yep. Professor Lewis, thank you so much for a very provocative and substantive con conversation on both sides, which we need to hear all sides and be educated. Thank you both, and we will have you back on the future to continue this conversation. Thank you for listening to this week's episode. 